Thank you. It's so cool to be with you guys in the new venue. Um, and when Pastor Zach said, can I step in today, I'm more than happy to do so. Um, as most of you know, um, wave your hand if you've never seen me before. Oh, wow. That's a lot of people. Lucky you. Um, well, we're, we, we come from England, as you can probably tell by my accent. And, um, and God has enabled me to pastor a great church. You've got a great wife, uh, one wife, one child. Um, and uh, you've got to say that these days, you never know. And um, it really is an honor to be here. I've been friends with Pastor Zach now and Claire for a few years' time, and every time I see them, they have another child. And, um, and it's just amazing, really. Like, how many? Have you got like 12 kids now? Is it 13? Oh, six. Only, only six, she said. Well, I've got, I've actually, here's the cool thing I've actually got 201 children, okay? 201. And um, come on. And um, so I'm beating you, actually, Claire. And one of them is a white Englishman who is Josiah. He is seven. And then 200 of them are from Kenya. So it's pretty awesome what we do now. Um, I'll just tell you a little story about how we started this. And I'm going to preach a word for you on the subject of forgiveness. So uh, God really put that on my heart this week. So I'm going to share that with you. But about 12 years ago, my wife and I were in Sierra Leone. Now, she wasn't my wife at the time. We were on a church mission trip where she was going to serve the poor. And I was going to try and find a wife. So it kind of worked. Um, So she met a little girl on the streets of Sierra Leone who was begging on the streets. She was nine years old, and she was begging for money. And this girl had a pink T-shirt on, and we found out that her name was Felicity. So we were kind of just amazed to see a nine-year-old kid begging for money on the streets of Africa. And we noticed that she didn't have any shoes on, okay? So we did something very simple. Now, I'm going to, I hope I don't offend any any spiritual Christians in here, but we didn't need to pray about what to do, okay? We didn't need to call a board meeting. We didn't need to kind of think about it for too long. We simply did what we knew was right to do. Very often we search, I've met Christian people who have spent years searching for the call of God for their lives, and they've been waiting for a dream, they've been waiting for a prophetic word, they've been waiting for some kind of incident to happen to propel them into God's call when really, very often, the need is the call. And this little girl with no shoes on, she became the call of God for us that day as we gave her some shoes. It's pretty simple. But she became the call of God. And that night, she looked at Becky, who was my friend at the time. Now she's my wife. And she, the little girl looked at her and said, should I wait in your bedroom for you? And Becky said, what? What do you mean? And she said, should I wait in your bedroom for you. And the third time she said, Felicity, what do you mean? Why are you asking if you can come to my bedroom? And sure enough, this little girl who was nine at the time, she thought that the only reason the missionary had been so kind to her was that so she might get favors from her in return in the bedroom. And she was nine years old. And she didn't think that of me. She thought that of another woman who was in her 20s. So what has that little girl gone through in those few years to think that of another woman? And people are shocked, people are gasping, people are like, oh, that's horrible. And it's true, it is horrible. But we'd made a decision on the streets of Africa that day to make that a life-defining moment. And 12 years later, we now reach all these kids. We, re- we have 200 in our children's home where some of these guys have been. And we reach 10,000 children every week. 
with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So it's incredible. So just want to thank you. Um, I don't have any literature with me today. I'm kind of on a quick trip. But um, people are always welcome to sponsor children. That's how we fund what we do. We're grateful when business people make large donations, but most of our income comes because of faithful people like you who just write $30 a month and sponsor one child. So if you're interested in doing that, come and see me after and I can get you set up. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Some of these kids, HIV, orphans, abuse, neglect, we see them transformed by God's great love. So I just want to thank OSC. I want to thank you guys for, for standing with us. We really do appreciate your prayers and your support throughout the year. And every time we're swinging through Louisiana, we always want to come to Crowley uh, because it's a special place. So <clears throat> my wife sends greetings. We're just getting going with a new project in Pakistan. We just got back from there a few weeks ago. And we're also going into Iraq. I mean, we pick all the nice places. Um, and um, God seems to send us there. We've got a project in Sri Lanka and now we're moving into Pakistan and also Iraq. So it's pretty exciting what God's doing. It's scary. Um, so please pray for us. If you can do nothing, if you don't have any money, pray. We need prayers of God's people. It means so much. And, um, you know, we just got back from Pakistan. And it was an interesting place, 99% Muslim. And we were there from the time we landed to the time we got home to England. We did not see one other Christian person. Every person, I was on a plane and I was the only and a white guy on that plane. And there were 400 Muslims on the plane. I mean, I kind of felt safe in a strange way. I thought nothing's going to happen to this one. But it kind of, um, I kind of, um, it was interesting. Was that a bad joke? Should I not have said that? Who knows? Okay. But we're just getting ready to build a children's home in, in Pakistan. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is an Islamic nation, which is dangerous. Uh, the pastor who I'm working with he lives one mile away from where bin Laden was killed. So this is right in danger zone. Uh, but what a great place to send the gospel. So please pray for us. We're going to be sending finance. We have just bought land. We're building a children's home. And I'm going to get out there again in the next few months and see what's going on. And we're trying to get 50 children out of brick factory slavery. These kids work for 14 hours a day making bricks at six years old. And they are owned by slave masters. So I said, well, what can I do about this? I said to the, to the people, I said, has anyone, their debts are so big, they'll never be able to pay them back. So I said, well, can I just buy them? Can I buy them out of the slavery? And they said, well, no one's ever done that before. So I said, okay, well, maybe we can negotiate. So I'm currently talking to slave masters to buy families out of slavery and put them into these homes. So I'll let you know how we get on. So um, please keep us in your prayers. But anyway... I'm not here to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about forgiveness. Does anyone know what it's like to be hurt? Like really hurt? Oh man, all the hands are going up. We've all been hurt, especially in America. So, um, man, it's bad, isn't it, when you get hurt? It's horrible. Um, maybe you've had a spouse hurt you, like your wife, your husband, your mother, your father. People go through all these kind of things, and they carry hurt for many years. People carry hurt for a long time. Maybe you've been the victim of abuse. Maybe you've been lied to. Maybe you've been deceived. Maybe you've been accused. Anyone ever been wrongly accused of something? Man, that's awful. Yeah. When someone accuses you of doing something which you never did, and you can't really defend yourself, and they're like, no, you did. Man, that's awful. Maybe someone's 
like a close family member has hurt you. Maybe it's been a friend, maybe it's been a colleague, maybe it's been someone at work. Maybe you've been so hurt that you can't go a day of your life without thinking about the person that hurt you. Anyone been there? Anyone know what it's like? Now it's even worse when it happens and it's another Christian who's responsible. How many know that Christians are not perfect people and sometimes Christians can get involved in disputes and conflicts which causes them to do things which they would not normally do? Yeah? Man, and you say, well, I thought they loved Jesus. You'll say, well, some Christian they are. Now today, listen, I'm not the judge, okay? I'm not here to referee your dispute. I'm not here to take sides. I'm not here to say, well, I think you were right. Or, I'm sorry, I think you... That's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about forgiveness because forgiveness is not really a matter of being right or wrong. It's about doing what God says you should do. You have to forgive. I was in South Africa a few weeks ago and I was given the privilege of walking through the Apartheid Museum. Now, you know the story of apartheid where there was such racism in South Africa. I mean, it, the, 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 the whites would oppress the black people so much, and it was just horrific what they went through. And then a man by the name of Nelson Mandela was raised up, and he went to jail for 27 and a half years because he was fighting. He's a black man, and he was fighting for freedom for his race, for his people. And he spent 27 years in jail. And then he became the president of South Africa. Wow, what a story. From the jail cell to running the country. He became a Nobel Prize, Peace Prize. He became one of the most incredible men in history. And he had 27 years of prison and jail and pain and abuse and torture and mental abuse and emotional pain. Here's what he said. He said, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills your enemies. Wow. He also says, as I walked out of the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Wow. You see, the Bible says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Someone once said, a good friend will stab you in the front. And today, I'm not your pastor. Sorry, you have to have Pastor Zach. But... I love you enough, I love this family enough to tell you some truths about forgiveness. Now, the best Bible example I can give you is a guy named Joseph. Who knows Joseph? The guy with the cool, multicolored coat. Joseph. You know Joseph. Now, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was trafficked and ended up working for the government before being thrown into prison. But a little bit like our friend Nelson Mandela, Joseph not only gets out of prison, but he ends up as the, we would call it the prime minister, someone who runs the country. 
His brothers, unbeknown to them, come to see him due to an urgent famine, and they beg for food. Joseph realizes who they are. He feeds them. He looks after them, and he forgives the very people who sold him into slavery. I don't know if you've ever been sold into slavery. I very much doubt it. You may have had a tough life. You may have gone through some tough circumstances. But I'm going to teach you the most incredible thing about forgiveness. Now I'm going to teach you what the Bible says. Let's look at the Bible. Let's look at Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15. It says this. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Listen to this. It's got nothing to do with, with your little conflict. Here's what God said. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Let's go to the next one, Matthew 5, 23. It says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and bring your gift. The Christian author, Lewis Smeads, he says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Now I'm going to give you a little test right now. You didn't think you were in school, but this is a test, okay? Because maybe you're thinking, well, I've already forgiven that person. Well, I'm going to give you four points, and they're going to prove whether or not you have truly forgiven. Because I know what it's like to need to forgive. My wife knows even more than me because she has to live with me. But forgiveness is something we will all battle at some point in our lives. You may have an easy life. You may have a great marriage. You may have great children. You may have great relationship with your parents. But you, at some point in your life, will have to deal with unforgiveness. You will have to make a decision to forgive. Here's the four tests, okay? Number one, keep quiet. Keep quiet. Do you keep talking about that situation or can you keep quiet? I remember one time I was working with a pastor. Okay, I was working with a quite a well-known pastor. Some of you would probably know his name. And this pastor, um, one time, um, he wasn't very happy with me. Now, I didn't do anything sinful. I just perhaps wasn't doing my job to the standard that he wanted me to do it. And he took me into the back room of a church and he threw the most incredible tantrum. He literally started getting things and throwing them across the room. And I was only a kid. I was like 19, 20 years old. And he got right in my face. He said, you don't know what you're doing. And he's shouting at me. He's getting so angry. You can see the steam coming out of his ears. He is going crazy, shouting at me. I just kind of stay calm. I think that's how you annoy people when they get mad. You don't react. You just stay, and it really annoys them, and it gets them more mad. It's great. <laughs> so 
He's getting so mad. He's getting aggressive. And he, it's completely out of character. This is a good man. And halfway through this kind of outburst, he just takes a step back and has a reality check. And he sees the things he's throwing around the room. He listens to his own voice. And he suddenly starts to sob. And he comes and he, he throws his arms around me. He says, Matthew, I'm so sorry. I should never have spoken to you like that. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I instantly forgave him. But here's proof of whether I forgave him or not. I didn't talk to anybody about it. Apart from the 200 people in here today. <laughs> no, just joking. But I don't tell anybody about that man. You will never know that man's name from me. In fact, I didn't tell my wife about that incident. Even though I was mad after I got out of that meeting, I thought, I can ruin his reputation if people know how he really is. If people know how he treated a young man. You know, I'm going to tell my wife and I'm going to get her angry and she'll, get, she'll go and tell him off. You know, she'll, she'll kind of do it. And I made a decision to keep I did not even tell my wife for many years after the incident. I didn't tell her. Now, if you keep talking about something, chances are you haven't really moved on from it. Now, have you ever been hurt? And the first thing you want to do is pick up your phone and call someone. And you're like, I'm going to tell my friend. I'm going to. And you go for the people you know who are going to sympathize with you. And you go for the people who are going to kind of stroke your ego and say, yeah, tell me, tell me. And they're going to stir up that hate and stir up that bitterness. And you just know that the right people to call. Because they're going to feed your gossip and your anger. Wow. Yeah. So I made a decision with this situation. I'm not going to talk about it. Now listen, there's a few exceptions. Sometimes you need, to, you need counsel. You need to talk to your pastor. You may need to talk to one trusted friend. But you don't need to be going around the city talking to everyone about that person you have supposedly forgiven. Because if you've forgiven them, you won't be talking about it. You've moved on. So the first test is, are you being quiet? Joseph told no one what his brothers had done to him. He kept his cool and he walked in total forgiveness. I want to encourage you, if somebody's hurt you and you've forgiven them and you've spoken to that person, maybe you've spoken to one great friend or your pastor or some, or your, your small group leader or a trusted Christian in your church, or maybe you've done that, that's okay, but I want to encourage you to stop talking. It's not going to help you. So test number one, are you still talking about it? Wow. Number two, do you want your enemy to feel guilty? Wow. How many know that sometimes we want people to be paid for what they've done? Okay. We kind of get a satisfaction out of wanting them to be hurt. And we, I hope they know how much they've hurt me. And we want our wrongdoers and our enemies to feel rotten and miserable for how they've treated us. But how many know that Christ is not like that? You might say, well, we're not required to forgive them unless they say sorry. 
How much repentance and sorrow for wrongdoing do you think there was at the cross? Jesus prayed that those who killed him would be forgiven. They weren't sorry. They didn't really mean it. They were killing the Son of God. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How many know that hurt people hurt people? Hurt people hurt people. And healed people heal people. I want to release my enemy of guilt and condemnation. I want them to walk in freedom. I had a dispute with someone about a year ago. And I remember being in that argument and clashing and fighting. And it was so not pleasant. And it took me a few months to truly forgive that person. I believed that they were in the wrong. They believed that I was in the wrong. I can honestly say now, I released them of guilt. I want them to progress. I want them to have a great life. I want them to be blessed. I want their children to be blessed. I want their marriage. I want them to thrive in God. I want them. I don't want them to suffer because of how they treated me. I think I'm right. They think they're right. It doesn't really matter. I want them to get on with their life. I want them to be free. I want them to walk in freedom. Do you want your enemy to feel guilty? Or have you released them? Into the freedom of God. Number three. Man, this is difficult. Forgiveness is a life sentence. Forgiveness is a... You say, well, hey, I forgave him and then I just something reminded me of it all again. And then it all came flooding back and I just thought, ah. Yeah, well, then you re-forgive and you make a decision every day. I'm going to forgive that person. You keep on doing it for the rest of your life. Genesis 50. We read that when Father Jacob dies 17 years later, Joseph's brothers panic. They think, oh no, daddy's gone now. And they make up a story to force Joseph to give up, to live up to his old commitment to forgive. Dad told us to tell you to forgive us for what we did. Joseph reassured them that he had forgiven them I was talking to a friend of mine recently and his dad walked out on him when he was a teenager those important years when he's a teenager and his dad decided to go and chase another woman and he left his his wife to go with his secretary and the son who was 13 years old he said dad you choose between us or her and the dad looked him in the eye and said, son, I choose her. And he left his children and his wife and his family home and he went off with this other woman. This man, this my friend became so bitter and so hurt and he was so angry and he wanted to kill his dad. He wanted to kill himself. He got a gun. He said, I'm going to take care of either my dad or myself or maybe both of us. Because the pain was so raw. The pain was so great. I said, how did you get over that? He said, I met Jesus. And he said, Jesus showed me forgiveness. I said, so do you mean that it just kind of disappeared in one day? And here's what preachers 
sometimes want you to think that you come to Christ and all your problems disappear. How many know that's not quite true? How many know that we have to make a daily commitment to live out the word of God? And this guy, I said, he said, I forgave my dad. He said, I forgave him. I said, well, what about the next month when it comes? He said, and then I forgave him again. Forgiveness is a daily thing. It's a monthly thing. It's a weekly thing. It's a yearly thing. You have to make a decision every day to walk in forgiveness. This is not an option. This is something which you have to do to be free. Forgiveness is a life sentence. That's my third point. My final point, number four. Says this. Can you pray for your enemy and mean it? Can you pray for your enemy and mean it? Now here's the thing. When someone hurts you, and the pastor says, well, you need to pray for them. You're like, man, are you kidding me? I do not want to pray for that person. I want them to get hit by a truck. I don't want to pray for them. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 5 and verse 44. It says this. We got that, guys? Look at that. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow. The best form of forgiveness, and I've tried every method you can think of. The most effective thing I've come up with is to pray for those people who've hurt me. The most incredible thing you can do, man, this is hard, isn't it? Is to pray for someone when they've done you wrong. And when you're a pastor, people hurt you all the time. People stab you in the back, people stab you in the front, they stab you in the side. People talk about you, people think they have the right after every Sunday service to go home and dissect everything you've said and done. They give their opinion. Sometimes they'll tell you, sometimes they won't. It's okay to do a lot of forgiving because people are people and people are broken and hurt people hurt people but I've realized that as I pray for someone as I put God's word into my spirit and I pray what God wants me to say and what God wants me to do and how God wants me to my heart suddenly changes now I'm going to be honest sometimes praying for my enemy is hard and I'm doing it through gratitude. God bless them. God, I pray you prosper them. God. But I just do it anyway. I just pray. And I do it anyway. And I'll say, God bless them. Bless their marriage. God bless their children, man. God, they might not, they might be so broken, so hurt, and they've gone away from you, but I just pray for their children. God, I pray for their finances. Would you prosper them? Sometimes I'll, he, I'll even give them a financial gift. And I'll sow into their life. They won't even know that I've given it, but God sees. Because I'm the one with the issue, not them. 
Sometimes they've moved on from it. They're not even thinking about it, but I'm the one who's getting bogged down by this every day of my life. Pray for them. And I'll start with gritted teeth. God bless them. God prosper them. God flourish them. God, plan, give them great plans. Give them great. And eventually my heart begins to soften as I pray every day, God bless them. God bless them. God bless them. And all of a sudden, it changes. And my heart is so sincere. And I genuinely want them to thrive. I want them to succeed. I want God to bless their business. I want God to help their children. I want God to use them in mighty ways. I want God to send them around the world on mission trips. And I want God to prosper their church. I want God to to use them in mighty ways and to let love and grace and peace and joy shine out of their lives. I want God to supernaturally, miraculously provide for them. Why? Because my spirit is aligned with God's word. Man, pray for your enemy and mean it. Number one, we keep our mouths shut. We be quiet. Number two, we don't want them to feel guilty. Number three, we accept this is a life sentence. We may have to re-forgive these people all the time. And number four, we pray for our enemies and we mean it.